Today on The Faction, we're talking G1 Climax, All In, Jey Uso, and Asuka versus The World. All of that and more today on The Faction. Salute my people, here we go. What's going on, family? My name's Gerard Bonner. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you are well. I hope you're in the midst of an absolutely great day and an amazing week. And I want to always thank you guys for all of your continued support of all things connected to The Faction. It really does mean the absolute world that you would take part in what we are doing here. As we really are talking about pro wrestling in a way that I hope you find to be different and enjoyable in comparison to to some other content that is there. If you're following us already, thank you so much. If you are not, go ahead and give us a follow on the socials at The Faction Show. You can also subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you are listening to us. If you're looking for spaces, you can check out spaces such as Spotify, Apple, Google, all places that you can find us. And want to mention this to you as well. Make sure you are connecting with our videos and things of that nature in terms of content. You can do that on the socials. If you have some specific things that you'd like for us to discuss, by all means, reach out to us. Let us know. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you're enjoying all of the content that we are bringing to you. So there's an awful lot to talk about, and there's a lot going on in the wrestling world. I'm going to start in New Japan today because New Japan has recently finished its very famous G1 Climax tournament. So for those who are unfamiliar with New Japan Pro Wrestling and kind of what the big benchmark moments are there, let's try to equate this somewhat to perhaps wrestling in America. So on the WWE calendar, there are four and some are now calling them five major events and they include SummerSlam, Survivor Series, some are counting money in the bank now, but historically SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and of course WrestleMania. WrestleMania marks the culmination of a full year in WWE. Royal Rumble is usually the event that is the precursor to WrestleMania, meaning the winners of the Royal Rumble matches on the men and women's side are guaranteed a main event spot at WrestleMania. So understanding that, we put that over the New Japan space. In terms of the New Japan calendar, there are a number of major events that happen in New Japan. There are a lot of tournaments. That's one thing that's for sure. There's going to be tournaments for tag teams, juniors. So there's the best of the super juniors tournament. There is the tag tournament that happens. And then, of course, perhaps the biggest moment on the calendar is the G1 Climax tournament, which is a month long tournament. The winner of that gets a main event at Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom is on July the 4th every year, as opposed to an alternating Sunday or the like. And Wrestle Kingdom is New Japan's WrestleMania. Okay, so now that we have all of that together, the G1 Climax Tournament, now in its 33rd year, is extremely 
prestigious, and I do mean extremely. It's one of the most sought-after tournaments to be a part of. You really do have to qualify to enter. Not just anybody can be a part of that tournament, and the tournament is special. Again, it is a month-long tournament that is broken up into blocks. Normally, it is the A block and the B block, which usually will have anywhere between 12 to 16 people in each block, just depending upon what that particular year looks like. This year was very different. For the first time ever, New Japan's G1 Climax had four blocks. Block A, Block B, Block C, and Block D. So before I get into how we narrowed it down to the final four, the final two, and then the winner, let me tell you how points go for this scenario. So to win a match, particularly by pinfall, will earn you two points. If you lose a match, you don't get any points. And if you end up winning by, say, countout or disqualification, you end up getting one point. You likely will have anywhere between six to seven matches in that month-long space, and of course, whoever amasses the most points wins their block. If you win your block, you move forward. So previously, it was block A and block B. By the way, I hope you're appreciating and enjoying kind of this Cliff Notes view of how the G1 Climax Tournament works in New Japan. So previously, it had been the A block and the B block, and so the winners of those two blocks would end up meeting in the G1 Climax Final. Now that we have for the first time four blocks, once we get toward the end of the tournament, we look for the top two participants in each block. So whoever was in first place and in second place in those blocks would all become part of the quarterfinals. And from there, if you win your quarterfinal match, you move to the semifinals and to the finals. So it might sound complicated, but it's one of those things that you kind of have to watch throughout to really see who your top two participants from each block would be. So before we get into who participated, there are a couple of other things to note. If you win the G1 Climax Tournament, you do get an automatic world title shot in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom on January the 4th. However, and comma, the world champion can also participate in the G1 Climax Tournament. If the world champion wins the G1 Climax Tournament, then the world champion gets to determine who he will face in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom on January the 4th, okay? So that's a bit different than the Royal Rumble, where usually the world champion is not in the Royal Rumble match, where it is a regular thing for the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion to be involved in the G1 Climax Tournament. Now then, I want to run through all of the participants in the A, B, C, and D blocks. Then I'm going to tell you who ended up winning each block. Then I'll tell you about the semifinals and the finals. So this tournament actually began on July the 15th, and it ended this past Sunday, August the 13th. So yeah, we're talking literally a month-long tournament. The A block was pretty stacked as it featured Sonata, who is the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Chase Owens, Hikaleo, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, Yota Tsuji, Gabe Kidd, and Kaito Kayomaya. Now, that one is interesting because he 
is from Pro Wrestling Noah, and you might remember that earlier this year he was the GHC Heavyweight Champion and got into an unplanned altercation with Kazuchika Okada, which really kind of went crazy. It was nuts. It was everywhere. That's the A block. The B block. Speaking of Kazuchika Okada, Okada was in the B block along with Yoshihashi, Tai Chi, Kenta, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Tonga Loa, and El Fantasmo. Will Ospreay, by the way, happens to be the IWGP US champion. We'll talk more about that in a bit. C block looks like this. David Finley, Tomohoro Ishii, Evil, Tamatanga, Shingo Tagaki, Aaron Hanari, Eddie Kingston, that's right, from AEW and the current New Japan Strong Openweight Champion, and Mikey Nichols. And then the D block went like this. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Toru Yano, Jeff Cobb, Shane Haste, and Alex Coughlin. So Block A brought us Sonata, the champion, who was 6-0, and Hikaleo. Those two went to the quarterfinals. Block B saw Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay head to the quarterfinals. Block C sent David Finley and Evil. And Block D sent Tetsuya Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. In the quarterfinals, Tetsuya Naito defeated Hikaleo. Will Ospreay defeated David Finley. Kazuchika Okada defeated Zack Sabre Jr. And Evil pulled off the upset of the tournament, defeating Sonata, the world champion, giving Sonata his only loss in this year's G1. And yet he was eliminated. That takes us to the semifinals. When Kazuchika Okada defeats Evil to punch his ticket once again to the G1 Climax Finals, while Tetsuya Naito defeated Will Ospreay in an incredible matchup. Shortly after this match, Will Ospreay declares the IWGP United States Championship as now the IWGP UK Championship. That's a whole story in and of itself. This takes us, of course, to this past Sunday night where the G1 Climax Finals was a three-time winner, that being Kazuchika Okada taking on Tetsuya Naito in a long-standing rivalry. And Tetsuya Naito defeats Kazuchika Okada to win the G1 Climax 33 tournament. What a match. What a moment. Again, if you get the opportunity, head over to njpwworld.com and check out this tournament or varying matches. It is well worth the view and I promise you this tournament was amazing and now we know Tetsuya Naito at least for now is headed to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 18 and I say at least for now because the winner much like Money in the Bank carries around a briefcase which again they get to turn in at Wrestle Kingdom unless someone defeats them for the briefcase which is different than Money in the Bank so, yeah, it adds a bit of flair to certain things over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But congratulations again to Tetsuya Naito. Now, speaking of the weekend, it was an equally crazy weekend if you caught the end of SmackDown. But before we get to the end of SmackDown, let's talk a bit about what happened in the U.S. title match on SmackDown. It was supposed to be Santos Escobar against Austin Theory for the United States Championship. 
It worked out where Theory really worked hard to injure Santos Escobar. He was successful and as a last-minute replacement, fellow LWO member and WWE Hall of Famer, Rey Mysterio enters the match, enters the group chat, and wins the United States Championship. So we got a new U.S. champion in Rey Mysterio. There's a part of me that wonders if this will cause a rift in the LWO, and it will cause some space between Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio. Time will certainly tell with that. The other big news coming out of SmackDown happened surrounding the bloodline. Exactly what would go down in the bloodline following the incredible events of SummerSlam? What would Jimmy Uso have to say for himself? Where does Jay Uso fall into all of this? Jimmy Uso gave his explanation that he didn't want Jay Uso to turn into, you know, this power hungry megalomaniac like Roman Reigns. Jey Uso ultimately doesn't buy it, hands super kicks out to everyone, and then says, I'm out the bloodline, I'm out of SmackDown, and I'm out of WWE. By Saturday, Jey Uso's picture was moved to the alumni page on WWE.com. And there are lots of questions right now as to whether or not Jey Uso is really gone from the WWE. I will say this, if this is indeed storyline, the commitment to detail of WWE by moving Jey Uso to the alumni page is stellar. I personally think there's probably a couple of additional steps that could be taken again if he's really not gone from the company, but we're acting as if he is. And one of the things that I think needs to happen is this. I think if Jey Uso really is still under contract with WWE, that they strike this unique deal to have him show up perhaps at Impact or New Japan to check out what the other promotions are doing. I think it would be amazing. There are certainly family ties in both of those spaces, which could make things interesting. I don't know. If this is factual, where Jey Uso is out of contract, how WWE allowed this, I don't know. Needless to say, we've got a very interesting wrinkle in all of this. Shoot, Jey Uso could show up in MLW to connect with Jacob Fatu. Again, there are other members of the bloodline who are floating around in other promotions. Could make a real argument as to how Jey Uso could make his way over to those spaces. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about relative to that. I want to get your thoughts on Jey Uso gone from WWE, what this means for the bloodline, when his potential return will be. Who knows? In the meantime, we've got a couple of other really big stories to talk about, one of which is all in and the second deals with this incredible story surrounding Asuka. I got a lot left in the tank. What's up, guys? This is Mark here in the World's Strongest Man, and you're tuned in to The Faction. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown, and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, 
wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perceptions, reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. How about that? The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W. Are you ready? Yes! Hey guys, before we hop back into the podcast, I want to let you know that you have the opportunity to wear the merch of hopefully your favorite commentator. That's right. I have merch available representing us here at The Faction and representing my journey. Lego. You've likely heard about my journey into pro wrestling, and if you haven't, I can sum it up in a couple of words. Uh It took me five seconds of courage to bet on me so we've got great merch out there allowing you to tell the world about five seconds of courage and betting on you Uh you check out that merch right now at prowrestlingtees.com slash bonnerfied again prowrestlingtees.com slash bonnerfied check out this new merch representing yours truly in the world of pro wrestling bet on you five seconds of courage prowrestlingtees.com slash bonnerfied this is the stroke daddy ricky starks and you know i only do it one way and that's big you're not listening to the faction all right guys so let's talk about this massive event that aew is producing that seems to be getting bigger and bigger by the day all in in wembley stadium We are just literally a couple of weeks away. Now, to be aware, it's happening on Sunday, August the 27th. The start time for this is going to be 6 p.m. British Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern. They will have the zero-hour event, which begins an hour prior. It's 5 p.m. BST, 12 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday, and it will kick off with a Ring of Honor tag team title match as Aussie Open will take on the tag team that will later battle in the main event, that, of course, being Adam Cole, Bebe, and MJF. There are lots of ways that could go. Of course, then, 
on the main card. There are some pretty intriguing matches. One of those matches sees Swerve Strickland and AR Fox taking on Sting and Darby Allen. I think that's going to be absolutely huge. It looks as though we may get Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. We also are going to get the world tag titles, the Young Bucks versus FTR, and of course, MJF versus Adam Cole in front of the largest audience that just about everybody on this card has ever fought in front of. So this is really going to be a very significant moment for AEW. It will be available on pay-per-view. I want to remind you again, start time is Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern for the Zero Hour Show. 1 p.m. Eastern for the main pay-per-view. So on the East Coast, that should be pretty cool. On the West Coast, it'll be nice and early in the morning for you guys. All of that, I think, will be really, really cool. What I'm still trying to make sense of, and we're getting to this as an issue, and I do want to address this, okay? So All In happens on August the 27th. That is a Sunday. Seven days later, on September the 3rd, AEW presents its next pay-per-view, All In, that's in Chicago. Now, here's where some of my questions come in. All In is clearly the largest event in AEW history, and some are arguing it is the largest wrestling event in history. I'm going to say it is the largest non-WWE or non-WrestleMania event in pro wrestling history. That's pretty safe to say. With that said, is there any sort of competition with All Out being deemed as a lesser event than All In? The fact that All In is happening at the 100th anniversary of Wembley Stadium, the fact that it's happening in front of 80 plus thousand people, it's hard to then turn around and treat All Out like a bigger event when All Out will likely have 15,000 in Chicago. And you can start to tell because AEW is now having to promote both events, there are certain matches that are happening that are finding their way to All In and other matches that are finding their way to All Out. Case in point, what happened this past Saturday on Collision where we found out that Powerhouse Hobbs will battle Miro at All Out instead of All In. That is the second match that has been mentioned for All Out. The first being Darby Allen fighting for the TNT Championship against Luchasaurus with Christian Cage. So I want to get your thoughts. How or is it possible for AEW to somehow make All Out appear as prestigious as All In? That's the question that I'm posing before you, and I would love to get your answers now then before we get out of here we have to talk about what's going on with oscar because things are very very interesting relative to oscar so if you've been following all that's been happening in wwe and really in the full sport of pro wrestling you know that particularly wwe and aew have come under fire for what seems as though a lack of support for women's wrestling this was highlighted, of course, by the fact that there were only two women's matches on the SummerSlam card. Only one of them was a title match. Perhaps the biggest feud in the women's division in WWE was left off of SummerSlam, that being Trish Stratus versus Becky Lynch, which ironically happened on Monday Night Raw and was not the main event, which just kind of furthers this point. 
Looking at AEW, some of the challenges that it has had in showcasing women on its shows. So then, Asuka, over the weekend, dropped some tweets. And one of these tweets really came as a result of someone sending her a note which has since been deleted. So we can't fully see what started this. But what we can say for sure is that Asuka had a lot to say. So I want to share some of these tweets that Asuka shared. And basically, this deals with Asuka versus the media. And so she started with a tweet yesterday that said, I don't flatter anyone, even in Japan. The media hated me because I don't flatter the media. In Japan, everyone was flirting with the media except me. I fought the media alone to take care of my fans. That's why some of the Japanese media still hate me. That's why I've always been a freelancer. And everyone in Japan knows I'm anti-Joshi Pro. Always. She continued by saying, The former editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Weekly has made this point on several occasions. That is, stardom is an organization that was created to defeat me. It is an organization that was created to destroy me personally, but they failed to defeat me. I don't know what happened to them after that because I came to America. Then she continues by saying, the media could not bring me down when I came to America. They must have really wanted me to fail. I am used to it because I've been fighting my critics alone since my days in Japan. But now that I'm here, I have comrades in arms, Charlotte, Becky, Triple H and dot, dot, dot. I've walked alone in the wilderness all my life, and here I have an oasis. To the Asuka antis, I say, beat me up on the internet all you want. I grab everything. Asuka was not done. She went on to say, when I became champion, one media outlet asked wrestling fans, quote, do you think it is good enough to be champion? Do you think it deserves to be champion? End quote. Compare me to other people. Do you think my abilities are inferior? Can you believe that? I was always fighting that media all by myself. She continues. What I just said is in the past. It was before I came to America. Now the organization has changed. She's speaking of stardom. And there are a few players I know. So I don't know anything about it. And good luck to everyone who's trying their best. I'm especially concerned about Shuri and Shirakawa. That's all. She continued, because she's not done, Asuka went on to really talk about what led to all of this and what happened in her past. She said, quote, one day I was threatened by a certain media company. I was the only person in Japan who could put on a big show on a regular basis. I had told them in advance that I would not allow the media to enter the ringside area because it would interfere with the fans' view of the show. However, the media demanded that I open up the ringside area. I refused, preferring the fans. The media made it a company-wide issue. They said they would never cover you in the news again. I told them I would not give in to them because the fans are more important than the media. They formed a clique and got ahead of me, spreading my bad reputation. However, some of the media staff and others, out of a sense of guilt, told me what was going on behind the scenes. I developed a strategy to resist the control of the media. 
So yeah, Asuka has had plenty to say, and her reasons for sharing what she has shared is because, again, she felt as though the media was trying to come after her in some way. She certainly explains all of this, and here's what I want to say about all of this story. I want to say this. This is why it is important that we begin to really respect what these wrestlers do for us. There are many sacrifices and choices that pro wrestlers make for us, the fans, behind the scenes that we will never know. Had Asuka not shared any of this, we would not know that Asuka's battle with the Japanese media is all about her preferring the fans over the media getting access. And if there's one thing that we should know, certainly over the last seven years, we've seen just how important it is for people to desire to control media outlets. If you can control the media or you can put a spin out there that causes news to either go your way or go against you, you can either claim fake news or you can create propaganda. Now in the Far East, they are not far into that at all, looking at what's happened historically in North Korea. Japan, certainly nothing like that. But if there are people who are trying to ingratiate themselves to the media, get certain stories posted, yeah, it could get kind of tricky for sure. Asuka made the move to the U.S. and she name dropped. She talked about having Charlotte, Becky, and Triple H and these power players on her side. So she's no longer worried about what the media could do to her. All I have to say is long live Asuka. And I hope that when you see Asuka in an arena near you, that you cheer the house down because Asuka is and always will be for the people. All right, things should get very interesting tonight with Dynamite going down. Should be very intriguing as we are on the road to all in and all out. From there on Thursday, you've got Ring of Honor and Impact. Friday, you've got SmackDown and Rampage. And of course, Saturday, you have Collision. Until next time, family, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I need my pain.